This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms, in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. When Paris Sarsilla was growing up, his mom immigrated to the UK from the Philippines as she was a domestic worker, and he'd go along with his mom sometimes to her work, and he'd watch, you know, this woman who he lived with and, and idolized, you know, work and look after primarily rich white families. And then he would come home, and his parents would talk to him about keeping himself quiet, trying to be the, you know, the model immigrant child. And as he got older, he realized how much of his early life was kind of horror. So it makes sense that he's getting worldwide acclaim for his new horror film, Raging Grace. Um, Mr. Garrett, do you already have any... Um, well, uh, le- let's do away with Mr. Oh, Lola Garrett, do you already have plans for Wincat? Le- no, no. I prefer Master. Here's why it makes sense. Raging Grace is also about a young mother from the Philippines named Joy, in this case, who works as a domestic worker. She's undocumented, struggling to save the money she needs to secure her visa, and she takes along her young daughter, Grace, to work. So I was happy to chat with Paris. He's one of the most talked about filmmakers in the horror world right now. And I started by asking him, you know, of all the great reaction and accolades the film has been getting so far, given the subject matter of this film, how has that been sitting with him? Um, really great. And also just quite unexpected, to be honest. Um, I, obviously when you, you make a film this personal, um, it feels like a diary entry. And, uh, when it goes out into the world and, um, it is received with this kind of really positive love and resonance with people, it, it, it's very fulfilling. Uh, but it's, uh, Yes, I, I, I wasn't expecting it. When you say it started as a diary entry, what do you mean? Well, when I wrote this, um, I wrote this in reaction to the pandemic, or at least not so much the pandemic, but the the, the time that uh, the pandemic had presented me, uh, which was a really introspective one, you know. And uh, I pretty much just realized I had spent so much of my life projecting uh, my heritage, my culture, my mother tongue, uh, just to, you know, socially contort myself to fit in to what is the good immigrant. And um, it brought me an enormous amount of shame. But that, that I think it, that was compounded by um, a year where there was open aggression towards uh, East and Southeast Asians, both in the UK and the US. And that aggression was stoked by our government, who had incredibly toxic rhetoric towards immigrants, the very immigrants that were, um, you know, helping to support a very beleaguered, under-resourced national health service. And um, on the front lines were Filipino nurses and doctors who were 
who were dying to protect the British public. And honestly, that sparked a kind of incandescent rage that was dangerous. It was dangerous to me, for me. And um, I had to put that on the page. Uh, at the only place I knew where it felt safe to express that kind of frustration. When you say that the the, the feeling um, of shame that you had sort of rejected and, and hidden your heritage and your and your language and your culture, combined with uh, um, anger and 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 often violence towards, um, uh, as you mentioned, uh, East Asian and South Asian folks in uh, the UK, the US, and I'll add Canada in there as well, as well as that you know propping up the the healthcare system. I understand all that. And then you said the rage that you were feeling was dangerous. What What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, when you, I suppose, have lived uh, ha- your lived experience in this country, and I'm referring to my own, my mother's, which this film is partially based on, and the uh, lived experience of many immigrants and diaspora kids, it's one of micro and macro aggressions um and when those aggressions come with um you know with fists you know and vitriol behind you know like clenched teeth there is an energy that stirs up inside me and inside many of us that we feel uh unable to express and you know to to finally give myself permission to express that uh, felt mm. like I could just get outside of the door, break mm. lockdown and try and find something or someone, mm. you know, to express that anger with. So, mm. yeah. Talk me through, and you mentioned your, your mom's experience. Talk me through mm. how all of this rage you were feeling and, and everything that you were going through at this moment um, led to the story of, of joy and, and grace. Oh, that's funny to say that way, joy and grace. The, 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 the story of these characters uh, and the plot of this mm. film. When my mom first came to the UK, uh, she, despite being a qualified teacher, the only job she could get was being a cleaner or a um, domestic worker for a lot of um, middle and upper class families in London. And uh, when I was growing up, when there wasn't anybody there to sort of look after me, I, I would have to accompany her with her to her jobs. And this was the first time I basically seen my mother go from a very jovial, lighthearted person to someone who had made herself very small, very invisible, um, and really strict, you know, with my presence being in a place that I didn't belong. Mm. And it was also seeing her being, I suppose, yeah, spoken down to, belittled, you know, that you, this is the most powerful person in my universe. And I was seeing her reduced in my eyes. She may not have had so much of the language to articulate what her discomfort was, but I knew what that was. Um, and it was, you know, talking uh, to her about it uh, in more detail, you know, where we kind of look back at those memories, but also just telling me her, 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 how these experiences had affected her. Um and how it ended up teaching us kids how to lay low, excel, but, you know, don't stick out, uh, get the good grades, but don't ruffle any feathers, you know, 
so many of those lessons were forged from a place of survival but i don't i i don't think they realized that what they were teaching us was like hard assimilation you start to realize if i'm if i'm following the 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 path here correctly mm-hmm. um you start to realize given that this film is 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 a is a horror horror film now genre doesn't really mean that much anymore but is classified mm-hmm. as a horror film but from what I'm hearing from you, the while the film is certainly scary and like it is scary, a scary <laughs> film, <laughs> there is. I understand now perhaps why you wrote the film the way you did, because in those situations that you described, being um, well, I guess being in an unsafe place, having to sort of had to had to lower yourself, having to sort of like make your brightness have a little bit more more shadow on it, that in mm. itself contains horror. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you've just sort of mentioned here that, um, you know, when I first started writing the script, I didn't intend to make a horror. It's just that so many of the experiences that immigrants and kids of the diaspora go through is horrific. So a lot of the natural direction the story t- started to take shape in was within uh, or through the lens of horror. But uh, it isn't just a horror. You know, it is very much a thriller. It's a drama. It's also a comedy. All of these things combined is very reflective of real life for me. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Coming up, more of my conversation with the filmmaker Paris Arcilla. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You you mentioned that like, oh, I had so much anger I wanted to get out. Is there a, I mean, and I will say it's somewhat of an angry film, if you don't mind me saying so. And like, and now knowing what I do know about it now, was was the first draft one of per, kind of personal anger that you had to then, you know, look over? Yes. It was a very furious draft. Like it was, it was like a place where I got to be messy. You know, I, I had to give myself that permission to be able to rage on the page. But there's only so uh, there's only so long I could carry that. It, you know, rage often lacks nuance, and I knew that you know for a story to be coherent, for something for it to be entertaining and not didactic, I needed it to move past the rage and the anger to be able to get into a place of joy and celebration. That is what it's about for me. It being not didactic was important to you. The idea that this film was, wasn't supposed to teach anyone a, a lesson was important to you, you're saying? Abs- yes, absolutely. Well, look, listen, during 2020, there was an outpouring of love, uh, sympathy, empathy, and uh, a need for allyship. That was incredibly important the problem is there was a very noticeable fatigue, you know, as the year went by, as a couple of years went by, um, when allies become tired. Um, mm. And I, I know, I, you know, music, theater, film especially, is one of the most powerful tools of communication. 
And what I didn't want was to get people to sit in the dark cinema and feel like they were being spoken at. I wanted them to be entertained, mm. you know, first and foremost. But if it got to them, then there was a message there uh, to show a, a very live, uh, you know, very real lived experience, however fantastical it may be, you know, told through horror. Um, you know, this is something that I, I hoped allowed for a cathartic spectacle. Let, let me let me bring it back to the to the plot one more, one more time before I, before I move off mm-hmm. of this. Joy mm-hmm. Joy the 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 home care worker's daughter Grace, who has to consistently move with her mother. Often she has to hide. I can sort of see the simmering anger in there. Tell me a little bit about Grace, where where this character came from. So Grace is very much a reflection of, um, I would say, myself and our generation, who find themselves, I suppose, trapped or constrained by these um, these external structures. Whether we gained, a, you know, a new new eyes in seeing the sort of oppressive structural society that we we're, we're in, or the ones that our parents put on us, uh, you know. Um, and uh, you know, Grace is someone who wants to be loud, wants to belong, wants to be able to express herself, but always finds herself in places where um, she doesn't belong. Always being told to get back in the suitcase, get back in the cupboard, and it's very symbolic of, I think, what so many um, children of the diaspora go through. You know, the the idea is if through this film and what I'm trying to express and what I had to find was a way to rage gracefully. Honestly, this is my own coming of rage, so to speak. Um, it was a way in which I managed to find, um, I suppose, you know, like the courage, even though I'm still very much terrified about talking about this subject matter, you know, without feeling like I'm going against everything my parents had ever told me not to do. Um, And um, yes, uh, there is certainly rage, but it's, it's one that um, is, is very different. um, And in how it's expressed, especially on screen. I would, I I would agree. I I appreciate you saying that. And I, and I would agree with you on, on that. And I think it's worth mentioning just in case people think that, oh, well, this is, this is a filmmaker who is, you know, watching a lot of horror and a lot of thriller to make this. Now, I, I'm going to ask about this because I, I, I'm not. I, I kind of really want to know this answer. I was re- doing um, some uh, research for this this interview today, and Matilda, like the Roald Dahl, yes, book, and then made into the movie by Danny DeVito. Matilda was a big influence on on this film. Yeah, hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if we there are so many themes within Matilda that draw so many parallels with Raging Grace and the character Grace. You know, like Matilda um, has, you know, in her all of her young life has essentially been undermined, undervalued, um, and made to be invisible. Um, but eventually finds her own power, um, and. Uh, one, there's a sequence within this film that I just thought was a masterclass in tension building. You know, it felt like a, a brilliant blueprint in how to balance, you know, comedy and thriller uh, without undercutting any of the drama in it. 
uh, and it's a scene with uh, you know Matilda and Miss Honey trying to escape uh, Miss Trunchbull's house. Some rats are gonna die today. And it was terrifying for me. I, lo- I, I watched far too many horror films when I was younger. So many films I wasn't supposed to watch. But that sequence really, really stuck with me. Um, but, you know, for, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I implore you to go watch it because that sequence is just brilliant. There's so much to learn from it. And it was, yeah, heavily inspired uh, Raging Grace. You know, at the, at the beginning of this conversation, and maybe this is a good way to close things off, um, um, at the beginning of this conversation, I, I asked you a little bit about like, well, you know, what it's meant to you to have this film be so, you know, widely accepted and, and loved by everybody. And you, you know, you were, you were great. It's, you know, it's just really lovely. It's really meaningful to have so many people want to watch this film and to get so much attention for it. But knowing how much of now that I've heard your story and knowing how much of your own sort of struggle internal and external made it into this film um how much of this film is about sort of your own even your own visibility within your family and within 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 the uk and 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 and, and about the lives of so many other people and maybe maybe what i want to know is um outside of like critical and, and festival acclaim what's been the most meaningful thing someone has sent, said to you after seeing this film um I think it was the first um, screening uh, at South by Southwest. A Filipina doctor came up to me and told me that she was uh, an adoptee um, who grew up in a very loving Irish-American family, wanted for nothing, didn't even really need to know her heritage that much. It It didn't bother her whether she did or didn't watch the film and um, came up to me in tears and said, I didn't know I needed to see myself on screen. And I didn't realize how much of those microaggressions I went through, but just saw them as something that I just needed to put up with and be grateful that I'm here and that I, I have a loving family. And I had so many of these kinds of reactions where people, uh, where this film had really resonated with the lived experience of so many people, not even just within the Filipino community, but far beyond it. Um, you know, from Brazil, Spain, Portugal, from uh, the Latin American uh, experience. And it's completely changed the way in which I think about my career. I thought the pinnacle of my, say, uh, a film career would be trying to get a Marvel movie or work for Star Wars. Now, my career feels vocational. It feels like I have to continue making films that pushes the needle forward in a way that makes people feel seen, makes people feel heard, gives people a cathartic spectacle, gives them permission to to find joy and celebration for who they are. Um, and uh, I think that that has been the most memorable part of this journey uh, and probably the most profound for me. I'm, I'm so glad to have been able to spend this time with you today. I'm so glad I got a chance to see this film um, and I hope more people get to see it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. It's my conversation with the director Paris Zarcilla. You can watch his new film, Raging Grace on demand now. Uh, The other episode we have up today is my conversation with another great young filmmaker, uh, Matt Johnson, who you might know from making the really wild, dangerous TV show 
Nirvana, the band, the show. Um, his new film is called Blackberry. It's about the rise and fall of uh, Blackberry, the device that really changed the world. It's a Canadian device. We talk a lot about Canada. We talk a lot about like Canadian film funding, strangely enough. And, and we talk about why it's really important that in order for him to make the art that he wants to make, he doesn't want to have to leave home like so many of his contemporaries. A surprisingly patriotic chat with Matt Johnson. Go check that out. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.